Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It is a crisis that strikes at the very heart and soul and spirit of our national will. People have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We get a lot of questions, or I get a lot of questions um, asking, oh, how did you get this guest? How did you get that guest? And I always tell our audience members, or people who listen, or my dad, really, hi, dad, uh, (laughs) that we get this, like, basically, I just ask very nicely. And they're like, oh, that works. If you ask someone nicely, you know, like, does that does that actually work asking someone nicely they'll they'll just you know show up on your on your podcast I'm like yeah and so yeah it's always kind of confused me too how we're able to get some of our guests but our guest today asked very nicely <laughs> to be on our podcast and I was like oh wow the the roles have been reversed so I was like sure <laughs> it, it, it's a person who who isn't very involved in politics and I was like why not so today we have a very interesting guest who I'm excited to get to know a little bit more and I'm going to go ahead and ask him to introduce himself to the audience for us. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Emily Victoria, for having me on your show. Uh, I'm so excited to be here with all of you to share a little bit about my experiences uh, and to uh, promote a great conversation with all of you. Uh, my name is Sherman Tylowski. I am a, a recent graduate of Texas A&M University. I went there for my master's degree. I received a Bachelor of International Affairs last year in 2020. Uh, with a concentration in national security and diplomacy, kind of really looking at intelligence, homeland security, those kinds of issues. Uh, Before I graduated in 2018 from King's College London with my Bachelor of Arts degree uh, in liberal arts with a major in politics. So kind of been uh, all across. Uh, I'm originally from California myself, uh, growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, having gone to school in both San Francisco and across the Bay. Uh, I've had so many interesting experiences that have shaped uh, the course of my life, whether it's uh, languages, uh, growing up uh, learning two or three languages at a time uh, every now and then, um, to uh, learning how uh, the social media industry has changed the way uh, we share information and communicate with each other. And uh, now currently I am interning in the U.S. House of Representatives. This is actually my second stint here. Um, So I interned uh, for a California congressman back in the summer of 2019. And I'm currently interning uh, for a Georgia congressman for spring 2021. And clearly with the circumstances that we're in nowadays, it certainly has been a tale of two different internships. Uh, but I am so grateful to be here. Um, I cannot wait to uh, look towards the future in developing career and policymaking um, in uh, cyber and in intelligence and in other fields. And I'm also very excited that uh, it's been now over six months since I started my first ever podcast called Friends and Fellow Citizens. Uh, which focuses a lot about uh, using Washington's principles so that he outlined in his farewell address of 1796 to help promote a better, uh, more civil uh, political environment and environment for discourse across the nation. And once again, thank you so much, Victoria and Emily, for having me on the show and look forward to talking with you today. Right. Yeah, I'm super excited to to start this conversation. Basically, can you can you outline for us what uh, you do in a day, in a typical day as an intern? 
Absolutely. So as a, a congressional intern, there's various different types. So I work for a member's personal office. There are other ones in committees and um, perhaps other uh, government institutions. But uh, for myself, uh, my main task is to help run the front office. And that includes setting up, that includes helping our staff assistant, who really is the main uh, professional staff member who is in charge of the front office. But my main duty is honestly doing the uh, kind of little work that keeps the office going every day. That's answering phone calls. That's helping with making copies. That's uh, running errands. Uh, that's also helping uh, the staff with any kind of legislative tasks or any administrative tasks that they may need. Uh, we very much are like the fly on the wall, um, you know, witnessing the process, witnessing, witnessing how our government works. Uh, I just think this is a really unique experience for anyone who has uh, done anything like this. Um, to be able to be this front up and to learn how things work, how a bureaucracy operates, as well as getting to know a little bit about the members themselves. So getting to know what their priorities are and why they have cho chosen to come to Congress. Uh, it's been a phenomenal experience. And what, whether or not it's, uh, you know, it's little tasks or the big tasks, um, it all kind of combines together uh, as one unique experience. And uh, I highly encourage anyone who's interested in politics, anyone who's interested in learning more about how people behave, honestly, in a society, uh, including uh, some, some of the crazy aspects of government, uh, I highly encourage all uh, who's interested uh, to apply and to make a run for this incredible experience. Yeah. And so you worked, um, you worked as an intern on both sides of the aisle. Now, was that something that you consciously chose to do, or you just kind of found yourself interning for two different parties? Um, how did you end up in that position? That's a great question. I, I chose to do that because I knew that even though I had my own personal beliefs, when you're, especially when you're an intern, you're here to serve the member and the staff and the institution. Mm. Uh, I think it's so important to understand both sides of the aisle because um, it helps a lot with communication. It helps also maybe make someone's life a little bit easier when you speak to them. When you tell someone, when I un totally understand that people have you know, their party affiliations, they have their own personal beliefs, uh, but I think uh, interning for two members on different sides of the aisle, I think you see the bipartisan aspects of politics, but I also think you see, you just learn how people behave and why people believe what they believe. So it was a conscious decision. Um, I can't say that uh, it's uh, always uh, the easiest, certainly in this day and age when politics can be very polarizing, there's definitely going to be some times when uh, you personally believe uh, perhaps differently than a member, but the experience has been so wonderful for both. And I've gotten to experience really, honestly, all the kind of different sides that you can imagine as part of congressional internship. Mm -hmm. And you have uh, an insight look to what's going on with um, at the Capitol. And one of the things that you've done within the past year is you've been serving as an intern during really a year of crisis. Mm. So can you give right. any examples? So I, I have two. This is a two part question. Can you give an example of when a political person really demonstrated a moment of leadership you don't have to give any names but can you can you probably share a story where you where you notice someone take up that call to leadership in this crisis and then can you also share an, a moment where you were disappointed or if, if that moment has existed within the time that you've um, interned within the past year sure so one thing i can imagine is really on january 6th and uh, i think when i saw that the party leaders for both the House and the Senate side. So on the House side, 
Uh, we had uh, Speaker Pelosi and Leader McCarthy on the Senate side, uh, Leader McConnell and Leader Schumer. When I saw that these four leaders gathered together uh, to continue the process, the constitutional process of counting electoral votes, despite the tragic events that happened on that day, I thought that was incredible leadership. I thought that that was really a moment of unity because we needed something positive to come out of something so tragic, a day like that. And just to see that, I remember that night watching as the Senate resumed um, their consideration of the Electoral College votes. I think everyone on both sides of the aisle, regardless of their political beliefs, realized that this was a real fundamental aspect of our constitutional process and that and no one was going to be able to take that away and that they were going to do everything they can to preserve that. Uh, I will say, like, just in general, um, in the, in, during this very, very difficult process, difficult times with the pandemic and with still uh, many, many Americans going through so many uh, different challenges, um, I can tell you that there's definitely been aspects of this experience where you feel like there could, and there could have been more unity. There could have been perhaps more conversation about certain issues. Um, I oftentimes see the, the same kind of partisanship that you see on TV. So a lot of things have definitely been different. I mean, there's, there's no tours anymore. I, I used to give tours when I was uh, an intern back in 2019, and there's no visitors nowadays. Um, there's, a lot of things have changed, but there's also a number of things that haven't changed that I think we also need to fix, um, especially on the partisanship aspect. But I also think there's a lot of things, things that haven't changed, just like I mentioned before about that constitutional process. Uh, we really have to really value it and, and, and prize what we still have in this country. And I have no doubt that there's gonna be people like myself who've gone through this kind of experience before and will uh, take the lessons and be able to carry them on forward into the near and distant future. Definitely. And, and you already mentioned it, you, uh, the January 6th um, insurrection. Now you were there Am I correct in that you were there during this? Um, I was insurrection. So, talk to me about what you experienced. I mean, we haven't gotten to hear from a lot of people who were actually there during this. So, what was that like for you? Were you scared? Were you, you know, uh, you know how how did you feel when all this began? Oh well, it's it's hard to put into words, as you can probably imagine. You know the emotions, even even more than two months after what had happened, um, it's still hard to. It's just hard to put thoughts into words, especially and when you go through basically a roller coaster of emotions during that day. Um, while I can't obviously share a whole lot of details about where it was and kind of the certain activities that went on, but I can tell you that it was really around one o'clock or so that we we started to really feel that something was up. Um, I was working here uh, in the Cannon building um, and you know, the, I was actually evacuated twice. Uh, the first was because of uh, the potential uh, bomb threat near the RNC and I thought, bomb threat, you know, like, I, just, I just couldn't comprehend that. And uh, the, the second time was really when uh, I had to go into hiding um, and, and seeing, you know, Capitol Police, you know, warning people, seeing, um, you know, members and press and staffers, you know, kind of scurrying all around. I mean, I, I just didn't know, I didn't really know what was going on. I mean, there's, it's just so hard to get information, you know, real-time information, even in this day and age with, uh, with technology and social media. 
And I've, I, I definitely did feel scared, feel scared. I saw, I'll never forget, you know, peering through the window, seeing that crowd right in front of the Capitol. I have seen protests before. I had never seen anything like that. You know, you just cannot have that many people be so crowded up on, on the Capitol steps. And, you know, that day, even to this day, you know, I think uh, I can't speak for everybody, obviously, but for me uh, personally, I definitely remember those events. And um, those events, I think, well, while it's, it's going to be a long conversation about what has to be done and, and what led up to January 6th. Um, but what I can tell you is that, um, you know, pe- there were definitely people on the ground who had all these kind of unique experiences. And I, I hope that there will be some kind of initiative. I don't know where it's going to come from. But I hope that there's some kind of initiative where we can get as many people as possible to share their experience and share their stories so that we can all listen from different perspectives and also to be honest with each other about the, the consequences of January 6th and in hopes that we will create a more secure but also open U.S. Capitol so that, because it is the people's house. And when we proceed that with that, uh, with civility, with confidence, but with vigilance, I think we can get to a much better place and prevent another January 6th from ever happening again. Mm-hmm. So your experience on, on January 6th, did it in any way influence or really shape or move any any of your um sorry we were doing a mic something happened with our mic for a second um let me re-ask that question uh the events that happened on january 6th did it in any way influence the way that you look at leadership in our country our politicians or did you come out of that experience with your own kind of outlook on how you want to be a leader because from what i'm assuming you're wanting to be a politician in the future yeah, so, well, I, I think it's a combination of both, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. I think on the one hand, um, I have definitely learned that in this day and age, you know, words definitely matter a lot. And while I think there, uh, words can be unintentional or intentional, but given the space, the domain that we're living in right now, it's pretty amazing uh, how far words can go when it comes to influencing uh, the people, especially when it comes to the extremes. Um, it's it's kind of a complicated topic, but I do think that when it comes to leadership, um, being prudent on words, uh, I'm sure there's a number of quotes maybe back all the way in history about the importance of, of having um, you know proper decorum or proper language. Uh, but I do think it does uh, offer some kind of example as to what uh, leaders want to be and also the direction they want to take the country in. Um, in terms of you know my my outlook on January 6th and kind of how that's that's going to influence me, um, I think what it shows is that there 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 has to be there has to be a, a huge conversation and discussion about all events. I I've just thought of something where even even though January 6th occurred in a day, but it wasn't created in a day, mm-hmm. in the sense that there were a, a number of of issues ranging from people feeling alienated from the political system, people feeling that they weren't being heard. Um, there's certainly the operational side of things where um, there were in, perhaps intel, intelligence issues where um, the intelligence wasn't clear enough um, to be able to mitigate the threat. There, there's just a multitude of things, but I don't think it's ever going to deter me from you know, pursuing what I believe is uh, noble and worthy. Um, I don't. I will not let anyone uh, who 
tries to desecrate the United States Capitol, tries to desecrate our democracy uh, from stopping me or anyone else out there here in the United States uh, to continue to lead because regardless of, of what uh, the conclusions we take uh, or the solutions that we propose after January 6th, there's no doubt that the United States still is the world's leading democracy and the world's uh, big superpower. And without any leadership, without the future leaders and future generations to take care of it, uh, we are in a, in a lot of serious trouble. So um, I, I will. I hope that you know this. The events on January 6th, in, in a way, kind of inspire those to ensure that we never go through a day like that, and we ensure that we bring our country closer together than before. Definitely. So I want to talk about the current climate of politics in D.C. right now. Um, kind of starting off with, have you seen a difference? in how people are reacting with one another, how people are interacting with one another from before the insurrection to now? Is there, are people being more courteous? Are people, you know, trying to reach across that aisle a little more after that insurrection? Or are you kind of seeing, you know, not a lot of change? Yeah, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I think, I think I haven't seen a lot of change mm. since January 6th. I think in terms of the tone now, I think on a personal level, that that certainly going is going to differ uh, depending on the member. Sure. Uh, but I, I do, I would, you know, say that when it comes to personal relationships, you know, relationships especially between uh, Democrats and Republicans, um, I don't think that has changed a lot. And in fact, I think maybe more than ever, some members probably have realized that because they were in this kind of crisis situation together, they were in that spot, they were hidden in hiding in the house chamber with gas masks under hiding under the sea. Um, maybe that has changed a little bit. Um, but I do think what has, and it definitely hasn't changed is the tone on social media. I think we're still seeing a lot of the remnants of, in many ways, what has led to January 6th, you know, this polarization, um, you know, the, so the lack of accurate information, perhaps, depending on the situation. Uh, but I, I'm really, I'm really hoping that as we start to reopen the country, as we start to have the vaccine program continue to roll out, I, I really want to see more, m much more in-person meetings. I, I know that in the virtual environment, it's definitely a band-aid solution, um, but. There's, there's nothing better than being able to sit down with somebody and have a lunch, you know, be able to have coffee together in person without without the fear of, you know, of you know, transmitting the, the coronavirus. You know, it, there's a lot of things that I think we need to restore. Um, and I, I hope that as we progress through uh, over the course of 2021, we bring back what Congress is meant to be, which is to congregate mm -hmm. and to bring back people together. Um, and to forge um, more friendships, spend more time together. I think that's another thing that uh, even before COVID has been an issue. Um, but I, I really want to see that Congress really physically comes together and maybe the nation will watch and maybe come a bit closer together too. Sure. And now you're part of our, our kind of generation. You're like the same age as us. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people have kind of said, with the extreme polarization that we have within our political climate, you know, it might be just a matter of waiting for the older generations to kind of move out of office and having these younger generations step into their positions. Do you agree with that sentiment? Do you think people in our generation, you know, 
kind of have that power to really close that gap between this polarization? Well, I think um, the, the 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 fact of the matter is that um, one of the one of the big things that I think is quite worrying is to see generational gaps. And I know that it's oftentimes inevitable because of the different times. Um, but what I think needs to happen is that um, younger generations, I think, really need to learn history. I've, I've been a huge proponent of history and civics. Uh, I'm probably one of the biggest fans of, of civics education you will ever find. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think to learn from those past, past generations of what they experienced, uh, I'll give you a quick example. I mean, I ask, I've often asked my father about what it was like to live in the 1970s when we had the oil crisis, when the Middle East was basically bullying us on the on oil, um, when the economy was doing terribly, when there was obviously the Watergate scandal. Those were very, very tough times, too. Um, and uh, everyone's going to have a different perspective, but um, I think knowing that trying to understand what previous generations have gone through using those lessons and applying them in nowadays i think is is the way to go um i, I do believe that our, our generation has a lot of capabilities certainly on the technical side of uh, being able to uh, communicate in ways that no one had ever thought of before um, but i think it's really a combination of combining those lessons combining our uh, passion for history and for preserving uh, what has created our nation and putting that forward into innovative policies while also being vigilant of what previous generations have told us. Um, it might be uh, kind of one of the best ways forward uh, as we kind of put together, try to close a bit of the generation gap so that it feels like everyone, in, no matter what generation you are, you feel like you're, you're still part of this country. You're still, you still feel like you can contribute in any way you can. And kind of following up on on what Emily was touching on with the generational divide and whether or not we can have a reconciliation of of this extreme polarization that's continuing in in our country right now, especially in politics, in D.C. today, in your experience, or even even before the the pandemic happened, when when you intern, is it easier to talk to someone who works for another... Let's say that you work for a, a Democratic representative. Is it easier to hang out with another intern who's on the Republican side than it is necessarily for the actual representatives themselves who are elected to hang out with each other? Is there a more yeah. open kind of door policy to be like, hey, like even though you work for so and so, let you know, let's get lunch, let's get let's get some coffee, since there isn't that really kind of spotlight on on you and and really it's more a spotlight on the representatives and the elected officials right um it it is definitely hard to tell i think one of the issues that i'm seeing is that because of this generational divide because of maybe some of the technological changes that are happening um it it seems like it's it's actually a bit easier now to just hang out with people who are of the same party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty easy with the filters. We even, um, I would say even on LinkedIn, you know, you can easily see some people are open on who they work for. And, and um, I'm concerned that there's people who look at a LinkedIn profile or look, look at a Facebook profile and say, well, look, this person likes a Republican or likes a Democrat. And just, I don't feel like uh, hang out with them because I fear that they're going to reprimand me. I feel like they're going to call me names or, um, or say that uh, I I am I am a racist or I am a misogynist or whatever. I mean, 
you know, the label throwing and the name calling is is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, as you can you can probably imagine. And um, in terms of, I, I would say in my experience, though, uh, one of the things that I've been able to do is I have been able to network with uh, some who have been uh, who are working on it for a member who's of a different party than the member I'm currently working for. Um, I don't know if that's really, I don't think there's enough evidence to show that it's because of the fact that I worked for um, that person's party that uh, I'm able to, you know, have a meeting or hang out with them. Um, but I do think that regardless of the circumstances, um, it's, it's just so important to to just get get to know get to know someone. I mean, when you first meet someone, you don't know anything about them. You only know what they look like, how they dress, but that's pretty much about it. And I think when you when people start to learn more about one's family, one's upbringing, uh, learning about why they've come to DC, what what are their passions, what what kind of an America do they want to see, uh, these these kinds of dialogues, I think, could really people more together um, and maybe if we perhaps uh, spend a little less time on social media uh, I, I certainly am one to at least have a more moderated approach on it um, perhaps we less spent less on social media we were kind of thrown into an arena where we don't know anyone's political affiliation we just got 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 the chemistry we find the chemistry with someone um, I hope that when uh, things open up again we can have those kind of gatherings and uh, be able to have a little, even have a little fun and um, spicing this up a little bit in in the area, in the arena of politics. That's already pretty crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, 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 before um, when I was in college, I went to DC a couple times because I had friends that went to Howard. And from my understanding, it's definitely when you're in an environment where it's not you're in a suit and a tie and you you're just trying to meet someone. It's it's easier to get to know the person than on social media because there are certain identities or labels that are attached to to your social media accounts that it can be more difficult to to get to know someone when you're just trying to meet online versus in person we just show up and you're like oh yeah like this this person's pretty cool we get to talking and then and then you find out where they're from and and some fun stories about them and then you step away from those kind of labels that are already splashed across whatever social media page that that it's posted on um so uh kind of a question that i am curious about what are some of the topics policies, concerns that you see among people. I mean, Emily and I have our own concerns and topics and policies, especially about this polarization that we're seeing happen in our country right now. But what are you seeing from other interns in D.C. who are um, a little bit more focused? Like you said, you have your cybersecurity. Um, That's something that's important to you, the infrastructure, the cybersecurity infrastructure. What are some other kind of topics and policies? And then go into a little bit about your concerns about the cybersecurity or can you expand on that a little bit as well? Sure. So um, in terms of speaking with, you know, some fellow interns about kind of what uh, what's affecting the nation right now. Um, I think one big thing I'm definitely hearing is about the economy, you know, about kind of what the workplace is going to look like. Uh, I know that we certainly recently passed a one point nine trillion dollar relief package in Congress. Um, kind of seeing that uh, live was was pretty cool. I will will say, um, but I, I also think that uh, when it comes to the economy, 
it's not only just the the existing jobs, whether they're going to come back or whether people are going to be working in person. Um, but I also think that we interns were also just looking to see, well, how will how do you think Congress will look um, in, in, with, in a post-COVID world? I mean, when you've got a lot of people working remotely, um, people are always learning about the pros and cons. And I think whether depending on the office, but uh, it, there might be uh, some something where maybe more people will have a different kind of access to governments. Maybe, you know, online remote work is not going to be permanent because we are human beings. We want to be social. Um, but maybe the, because of the way the Congress has uh, has changed quite a bit since the beginning of COVID, um, that might change a little bit on the prospects of what people want to do in terms of if they want to go back to campaigning, if they want to go back to their home state maybe, but work for, for a firm or a member in Washington, D.C. Um, there's a, I think that's been one of the big topics that I've heard from coming from interns uh, from and from other even from other staffers too. Um, in terms of the issue of cyber, uh, I think one of the big issue right now is really looking for cyber leadership. Now, it, it does seem kind of a bit of a broad term, and, it, and it, I, in a way it is, um, but it, it certainly means that we need to perhaps have a better vision for what cyber is going to look like in terms of the workforce. Um, in terms of what, how, and um, which, um, how and which dimensions we want to uh, go to when it comes to cyber policymaking. Um, cyber for me uh, has been an increasingly big issue over the last couple of years, um, but I do think that when we're seeing competition, when we're seeing what happened last year in December 2020 with the solar winds hack, basically one of the biggest breaches, cyber breaches of the federal government, uh, per perhaps the biggest one that we know of. Uh, when we see things like that, that I think not only requires us to have you know, the cyber resources in the federal government and you know, in partnership with the private sector, but I also think it means a lot to how we teach cyber. We need to have a futuristic cyber workforce. If we're going to prepare future generations, we can't just simply give ourselves the tools, but not the education, not the training. Um, so my hope is that maybe cyber education will be an increasingly hotter topic over the course of the next few years, not just, you know, cyber as in cyber that's run by the NSA or by Cybercom, because it kind of sounds like it's a bit of a distant subject, a very technical field. But I think maybe as we go into the future, we might see cyber as something that's not just technical, but something that could open up a lot more opportunities, especially to uh, to women, to perhaps to minorities as well, uh, and those who uh, want to seek an opportunity to contribute to the private sector, but also to the federal government as a whole. Well, we are greatly appreciative of your time and the conversation that that uh, we had. This was really interesting for Emily yeah. and I. We never talk to people our age, and what you do, <laughs> we find so awesome. It is so cool. Um, before we wrap up our podcast. Um, one of the things that we usually do, and we usually do it at the beginning of our podcast, but we were so excited to talk to you <laughs> that we forgot. Um, we ask a personality question. And th this personality question is dependent on how long you lived in Texas, because I'm from Dallas. <laughs> I'm from Dallas, Texas. I have family all over Texas. Yeah, okay. count me out of this one. I don't know. <laughs> no, you might, you might have your own opinions about this, okay. too. Because sure. you're from the South. So how, how long have you lived in, in Texas? When so I there? lived there for two I lived there for two years, from okay. 2018 to uh, mid 2020. So enough time to know what a good taco is. 
<laughs> what what is your taco order? Mm. You know, I gotta say, I love tacos with um, I love refried beans, Spanish rice, lettuce, tomatoes, onions. Um, I I think I'll add chipotle sauce to it. Uh, mm. I, it's that. That really is making my mouth watering right now. <laughs> yeah, why'd you ask that, Victoria? And, now I'm hungry. <laughs> right. Um, and I just had lunch, so that's, that, that was that. <laughs> um, but I, I will say the, the Texas cuisine there, Victoria, um, I don't know how you guys did it. Maybe that's how, maybe that's why Texas was a country first before it became a state. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I definitely miss those great days uh, when we had delicious foods, uh, tacos, burritos, Tex-Mex is, is certainly one of the greatest inventions that, uh, that humans have ever created in the history of this universe. <laughs> I agree. And fun fact, the margarita was made in Texas. It's a Tex-Mex oh. cuisine drink. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's uh, We're going to wrap up this episode of What the Politics. Sherman, thank you so much for, for reaching out because that was, that, was, that was something that a lot of people, it takes a lot of um, courage, I don't know, just to, just to even start talking to someone else. So I really appreciate the fact that you did reach out and I think this has been a wonderful conversation and I think yeah. our... Our listeners are going to really enjoy this one. Well, thank you so much, Victoria and Emily. I really appreciate you having me on. It was so great to talk to both of you today. All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up this episode of What the Politics. We release new episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to stay tuned for those. You can find it at WNCT.com under the Features tab on the WNCT Podcast Network. You can also find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week.